is definitely doing a new thing. <laughs> Things are changing. It's a blessing to be with you, um, uh, to see what God is doing in this nation, to see what God is doing in His people in this nation. I mean, it's so, so inspiring. Uh, I want to congratulate uh, Pastor John and uh, his beautiful wife on uh, the fifth uh, celebration. to see where they've come from and where they are and what God is, is doing. So we celebrate that with you, five years. I know the five years have been years of grace. Nothing that you've done was without grace. Everything was because of God's grace that you are where you are. And uh, I believe that during this five years, you've built a momentum, a momentum. Now, moment, momentum can be a very dangerous thing if you are on a motorcycle and you have momentum and you take the wrong turn, and you're on your way to the ground, momentum can be dangerous. But when you are moving in the right direction, and you have momentum, as soon as that momentum is built up, doesn't matter what comes your way, it becomes small obstacles. Okay? If you don't have momentum in your spiritual life, and you go through a storm, that storm can bring you to a completely standstill, because there's no momentum. But when you start to pick up speed and there's a certain momentum, small obstacles becomes nothing. Big obstacles becomes nothing. Because there's a momentum that carries you through through what is coming. And so prophetically, this is what I release upon Life Church, is that it has been five years of grace. But during this time, God has built the momentum in this church and in this ministry. And I declare that there's a momentum on you you're moving on the right track, in the right direction. It doesn't matter what comes. That it will not slow you down. It will not bring you to a standstill. doesn't matter how big the storms is in the next couple of years. Those big major storms will become small little bumps. And you will just break through it when it comes. Because there's a momentum that is upon you. Amen? And so I want to honor them today. And even as... We go through the teachings, the things that I want to look at today is I'm here to honor this ministry and to honor them as a couple for the price that they have paid. Okay? You know, you know that pastors go through difficult things. They just don't post it on Facebook. You know that. And so all of us go through challenges for things in life. And so I'm here to come and encourage them and you as a body for what God wants to do in the next couple of years in this ministry. Okay? Now, life has a, has a cycle. This church has a cycle. Cycles are not all bad. There's some good cycles, good seasons. Life has a cycle of five years. And so there is a change that's coming now, and you're going into a, a new season, a change that is happening, okay? Now, as soon as you go into a new season, or as soon as the change comes, the enemy plots his last attack to try to dismantle people, to try to get people to run away, to quit, to give up, because whenever that, that cycle, that season, whenever it's turned, there's a breakthrough that does not just come to the pastoral couple or the leadership, but it comes to the entire church. 
comes to the entire body. You're part of that body. And so as they are the head or the leaders of this body, you are part of what God is doing. But just before the breakthrough comes, there is a, the enemy wants to dismantle what God has been doing. And so I want to encourage you to hold on. I want to encourage you. You're going through that transition right now. You're going into a new season. It's already started. God's already, it's, re, it's not a baby that's going to be birthed. It's already been born. But now that baby's busy growing and getting up. And so hold on, hold on. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to your emotions and to your feelings. I want you to have your sights on the kingdom this year. We're busy building the kingdom of God. Have your sights on the kingdom. Then it doesn't matter what comes your way. You'll be able to stand and to be faithful and committed to what God is doing in this place. Okay? When I come here and I sit with them as a couple, it's something to me that is very serious in the kingdom of God because I don't just see them as a pastoral couple or people in ministry. Pastor John is a gatekeeper. He's a gatekeeper. And <laughs> the word that God gave me five years ago about a change that's coming in the world, not just in the nation where I come from or Dubai, but wherever I, wherever I go, there's a word that God gave me five years ago or two years ago. He spoke to me about a five-year transition two years ago. And he said, within five years, the guard is changing. If I say the guard is, in, in Switzerland, they say, do you, do you mean the guard is, no, the guard is changing. No, 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 the guard, the guard, the gatekeepers are changing. And so gatekeepers are positioned for a season of 30 to 40 years, most of them for 40 years, gatekeepers are raised up. A gatekeeper is someone that controls the spiritual activity within a city, within a region. It might be someone that oversees one church or a network of churches. They are gatekeepers. They are positioned all over the world, and God has put them in authority and position. But this is the thing about gatekeepers, is that the principles that the gatekeeper follow, the things that a gatekeeper believes, if a gatekeeper believes in miracles, miracles will be possible within that city. If a gatekeeper rejects healing, people can try whatever they want, it'll be a challenge to perform miracles within that city. If a gatekeeper rejects prophecy, it'll be challenging to, to prophesy within that city or within that region. And so five years ago, two years ago, God said in, in the next five years, there is a shift that's coming. There's a change that is coming. The gatekeepers are retiring. They're dying. They're stepping down. The guard is changing. And within the next five years, I will the new guard will step up. The new guard. The new guard is men and women of God that the Lord has prepared for the next 30 years. Prepared for the next 40 years. And the rules that they set over cities, over regions, is what will be possible in those regions. The rules that they set. And that's why I say that it is with not just the urgency but there is a seriousness upon me when I come here because the first day when I met Pastor John, I know that he's a gatekeeper. And I know that God has been raising him up, not just over an area, but over a region that stretches far. And so 
what excites me about him and, and their life is the fact that they believe in the supernatural. They believe in miracles. They, they believe in signs and wonders. They believe in prophecy. I remember uh, years ago spending time with a man of God and standing next to him while he was raising someone from the dead. And uh, he had the person there and every, everyone was in the room and he challenged the pastors in the room. He said, go try and pray, see if you can raise the man. And no one prayed. And then he said to the pastors in the room, he said, do you believe that, that we should pray for the sick? Do you believe that we should raise the dead? And all of us responded, we said, yes, we believe in it. And he said, but do you do it? Do you pray for the dead? And we said, no. And he said, then you don't believe it. Because if you believe it, you'll do it. And so, when I talk about the supernatural, there's many people, many people, that say they believe in the supernatural, but you, they do not function or operate within the supernatural. They speak about it, but there's no demonstration. There's no power. They can quote the verses, they know the translations, but that's where it ends. There's no, there's no demonstration of the gifting, and that's why I'm saying that this is a couple... And Life Church is a church that is functioning, not just preaching about the supernatural, but functioning in the supernatural, <laughs> demonstrating the supernatural. It excites me to hear about the miracles that has taken place. It excites me to hear. And it, it excites me to hear that it's not just the leadership or the pastoral couple that's performing those miracles, but actually members that's busy stepping out and that's busy praying for the sick. A busy prophesying that's going out there and that's functioning in the supernatural, not just looking at the leadership of the past and saying, no, no, you do it. But they're partaking in what God is doing within this church. Amen? Amen? Let's pray and we can start. Thank you, Father, for the word. Father, I want to release a blessing upon this church, a blessing upon your people. Father, I pray for a protection upon every person in this building, Lord. Lord, I come in complete agreement with what Pastor John said, that 2019's troubles, 2019's challenges, 2019 has passed away. It is over. It is not transferred within 2020. It's a new season. It's a new day. It's a new year. New possibilities, Father. And Father, I pray for a blessing upon every person that's in this room, every person, those that's hearing the sound of my voice, Lord, where they're sitting now, I pray a blessing upon them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for the word? Okay. I don't have to introduce myself. Uh, I introduce myself normally the first time when I go to a place, but I'm family here, so I don't need, I don't need an introduction. So if, if you don't know me, it's because you haven't been coming. So, <laughs> so just come. So, no introduction. My wife sends her greetings. Um, she, uh, I, was, I was speaking to her this morning, and uh, she really wants to be here. Um, but the time will come. The season will come. We will be able to travel a little bit more. Um, I'm leaving from here tomorrow to Switzerland. We'll be in Switzerland for a week and then in Germany for a week. And she will meet me in uh, Switzerland uh, in a week's time now, and we'll be there. God is moving all over the world. Okay. Amen. So, she sends her greetings. The boys are doing well, and, uh, and uh, uh, we are excited uh, to see what God is doing. Amen. Okay. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. 
I was driving in South Africa uh, uh, and uh, stopped at a traffic light. And about two cars in front of me, there was a lady that was begging on uh, the street corner at the traffic light. And uh, the car in front of me, I couldn't clearly see what happened, but they opened the window and they gave this lady uh, a sandwich or something. And uh, I looked at this lady, she grabbed the sandwich, she went and sat next to the road, and this lady stuffed her face with that sandwich. And as I saw that, I realized that where there's a hunger, where there's a hunger, people don't care about what others say, what they do, what they would think. This lady was naturally hungry. And because of that hunger, suddenly she could devour that sandwich and she didn't care what no one thought of her because there was hunger upon her life. It is a concern to me today that not just in one nation or place, but that all over the world, that the church are losing their hunger for God, losing their hunger for the presence of God. And without hunger, without a desire, without an expectation, it is impossible for the supernatural to function. It is impossible. We even look at the life of Jesus, the miracle work of Jesus, that even because of, because of people in his own town where he went, people that dishonored him, that where they didn't have a hunger that he himself couldn't even perform miracles because there was no hunger. And so hunger remains a key, a key in our lives. Don't lose your hunger in 2020 or in the season of your life. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I love this next sentence. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. The reason why Jesus is compassionate about this man, the reason why he loves him, the reason why he looks at him is because Jesus picks up the hunger inside him. He, is, he, he comes to Jesus. If he didn't have a hunger, if he didn't have a desire, he wouldn't have followed him to say, what can I do more? I want more. I'm not satisfied at where I am. I want more. I look at the miracles that Jesus has done in his life. I look at lady with the blood shedding that pushed through the crowd. There's a group of people that needed miracles, but she went the extra mile. She was desperate. She had a hunger. She pierced through. She did something beyond and above what other people did, and she didn't care what they said, what they did, whether they pushed it out of the way. She didn't care. She saw opportunity, and she went for it. She realized. I look at a, a man. There's a crowd looking for Jesus, but then there's a man that climbs up in the tree. He goes an extra mile. I look at a place where Jesus is sitting in the house with a group of Pharisees. This group of Pharisees are the faith preachers of that day. They are the pastors. They are the prophets. They are the people. He's sitting and teaching them. And there is no 
miracles happening. There's no move of the supernatural while he's sitting with this group and suddenly the roof opens and they lower in a man. And Jesus looks at that and, he, and he, in the midst of the pastors, in the midst of the faith workers, Jesus looks at these men and he says, because of your faith, he is healed. He's sitting with the people that are supposed to have faith, that are supposed to function in the supernatural. But yet there's no power. And then they open the roof. They're desperate. They go the extra mile. They don't look at a, at a house that's fully packed and say, no, no, we'll come back next week because there's no space. There's no parking. There's not an open seat. They, they make a plan. They get on the roof. They open up the roof. They want to they press through and they want to get to him. They go the extra mile. There's a hunger. At every place throughout the Bible where I see a miracle, where I see the supernatural takes place, I see hunger. Wow. Everywhere. Jesus are drawn to hunger. And so with this man, again, he comes to Jesus and he loves him because he, he sees the desire in his heart. He sees the hunger inside him to say, what can I do? I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want more. Jesus looked around. Um, Jesus looked at, uh, at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the, man face, his, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. It's amazing to me that he's looking for the right answer. He's looking for it. And then Jesus gives him the answer. And he's still doesn't respond and walks away from that. I've seen many people in church hungry, that have a desire, but then when God answers them, they still do the opposite thing. They still don't do it. There's even people in this church that have been seeking God. And then God speaks to you, but then you still haven't responded. You're still not responding to what God told you to do. You're hungry and God said, okay, this is what you need to do but you haven't, still haven't moved, still haven't responded. I've spoken about this before, that until we respond, nothing will change. We have to respond to what he's saying. Now, as I read the scripture, it looks contradicting to me because Jesus says that if you would ask me, I would give you the nations as your inheritance. And so I look at this man, and now he's saying to him, one thing you lack, give away everything that you have. And so... I realized that it's not that Jesus has a problem with the fact that this man is wealthy. But as I look deeper into the scripture, I realize that this man has placed his identity in his wealth. And the reason why Jesus is saying that, that give everything away is because his identity is not in Christ, but in his position. And he's saying... Get rid of that thing, because that is not who you are. And so many people today in the world that we're living in place their identity and their purpose in their bank account. When they draw a statement and there's a lot of money in their account, they think that they are full of purpose, they have great destiny, and they're on the right track. And then when they go through an obstacle or a challenge in their life and, and they go through financial difficulty, and they draw a statement, they think they have no purpose, and God has no plan for them, and they're lost. Yeah. That's what people think, don't I? Don't. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's what they feel. I want you to understand today and in the beginning of this year in 2020 that your bank account does not reflect the destiny or the purpose that God has for your life. Your position that you have. Your position that you have. Material things that you have in your life does not reflect who you are or whether God is in your life or not in your life. It's got nothing to do with that. It's not connected to it. What truly gives you purpose and identity is if you have made the decision to follow Christ. That's it. That's where your identity comes from. That's where your purpose comes from. That is your true identity. Now, the amazing thing about money is that money gives people boldness. I've seen how money have destroyed people. They've been humble and quiet, respectful of others. Then money shows up and they become the opposite thing. They become prideful. They become, they become bold. They say stupid things. <laughs> things that they never did. Because their identity is found in that. I'm here this afternoon to say to you that it is important for you to find your identity in Christ. And at the same time to have the boldness to speak, not because of earthly position, but because of Christ that is in your life and because your, your identity is connected to Him. Amen. I want you to read with me in Luke 15, 11. I'm not going to go through the entire passage. You know it very well. It's the story of, um, it starts and says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And it's the story of a father with two sons. Both of them, with one of the sons, he received his inheritance and he went out and he spoiled it. But there's three things that I want to touch on briefly for you to understand 2020, your position in Christ this year. This young man goes out and uh, you know the story and um, in the, in, um, when he's with the pigs, he comes to his senses and then suddenly he makes the quality decision to return home, to come back to his rightful place, to step back into the position that he's called to be. He comes back to the father. He comes back to his house. Now, this story, the hero in this story is not the son. The hero in this story is the father. If I would, if I had the opportunity to, to write the, the theme of this, of this passage, I would say the hero father and the two idiot sons. Because <laughs> it's not about them. It's about the father portraying his mercy. The father that's standing up and that is putting them in their rightful position. That's what the story is about. It's not the sons. It's him. And this father right here reflects the father God reflects the way that he looks at us. And so this young man comes back with the intention just to be a slave or just to be a servant in the house. That is his intention. He says, if I could just be a servant, I'll have a better life than I am having right now. And so that is his intention, is to come back. And secondly, his intention is to come back and to, to repent of everything that he has done. He's ready to confess all his sins. He's ready to go into details of what he's done wrong. He's ready to open up everything to the Father. That he's, that's his intention. He comes back, and as he comes back, and it's very important, we see that the Father is expecting and looking and waiting for him to return. The Father has not moved on 
when his son left, the father did not move on. He was waiting for him to return. He did not write him off and say, well, you took your inheritance, it's over, you can never come back again, even though he gave him his inheritance. The father was still anticipating, still had an expectation, was still waiting for the return of the son. As he comes back, ready to repent, ready to, to open up all his sins and, and publicly announce everything he's done, as he's ready to do that, the father runs to him. The father doesn't stand in the position and wait and wants him to come. He, he meets him halfway. He runs towards him. Immediately as the son gets ready to repent, before he can repent, the father grabs him, kisses him, and immediately restores him by doing a couple of things. I want you to write down three words this afternoon. The first word is robe, the second is ring, and the third is sandals. Immediately the father says, um, bring him a robe. We know that that robe is, represents the father. It represents the authority of the father. It represents what the kingdom is about. That's what, it, that's what the robe is. So immediately the father says, we're not just going to give him a servant's robe. Bring him a rope, his rightful position. And immediately, his intention was to repent. His intention was to open up everything that he's done in the past. But immediately, the father grabs him, immediately restores him, and puts him back into his rightful place. He does three things. He, puts, he gives him a rope. He covers his sins. He covers his iniquities. He covers his mistakes. The father does not expose him. The father doesn't publicly expose him to the people or to the servants. He covers him immediately. And, the, and as part of what he's covering him with is, is the authority that that rope carries that is upon him. He is the father's son. And so in a kingdom like that, whenever someone touches the son, he touches the father. And so immediately he restores him to that position. The second thing that he does is he... It says, bring a ring for his finger. A ring speaks of covenant. When we get married today, it is, the marriage contract is not the ring, but the ring is a symbol of that we are entering a covenant with one another. It's a covenant that we're going into. And so immediately, the father restores covenant with him. Immediately. He puts him back into covenant. Immediately. The third thing that he does, he says, bring sandals for his feet. And the sandals prophetically speaks of, of his readiness, of, his, he, of, of the fact that he's qualified and that he's prepared to immediately function back in the position that he's been. Sad to, to me today that when people get restored or when people get saved, that that we don't restore people in the same manner. We have a different journey that we take them on. We first expose them. We don't cover them. We expose them. We expose their iniquities. We expose their sins. We first want them to repent. And if they, if they repented and, and it didn't look that they really meant it, we want them to repent again. <laughs> we want to expose them. And then, and then after that, we'll think if if we want to put them back in the position where they were. 
That's not how the Father works. The Father immediately takes them, restores them, puts, puts them back in their rightful position and their rightful place. Now, it's very important for you to understand covenant. Very important. And for this year, 2020, I want you to know that you are a covenant child or a covenant daughter. Did I speak with you this afternoon? I'm speaking to covenant children. God has a covenant with you. And a covenant is not formed because of your culture or where you come from or what you've done or where you've grown up. The covenant that I'm talking about this afternoon is the covenant that you went in with God because you've accepted His Son. When you accepted Christ, you are in covenant with Him. And it changes everything. See, God says to Abraham several times, He says, it's time for you to split roads with Lot. It's time for you to move on. But Abraham continues to <laughs> to entertain his nephew. <laughs> he doesn't listen. Eventually, <laughs> Abraham, Lot gives Abraham a lot of problems, eventually. And then, because Abraham is in covenant, and he understands covenant, he says to Lot that it's time for our, plow, our paths to split. You choose left or right. You choose what land you want. And I will take the land that you don't take. Because Abraham is a covenant child, he knows that the blessing of the Lord goes with him. He doesn't run after the blessing. He says, you choose whatever land you want to. Choose whatever you want to. Lord's trying to get the blessing. He's looking what land is blessed, what land is prosperous, what land is fruitful. He's trying to follow the blessing. But a, a person that understands covenant knows that the blessing rests upon them. And you can enter a dry place, and that dry place will become fruitful because of the blessing that's upon your life. And so he says, take whatever you want, and after you've done, I'll go. And this is what covenant does. His covenant makes you understand that wherever you go, whatever you touch, whoever you come in contact with, becomes a blessing. I look at business today, and... Uh, I've done a few business seminars recently, and I listen to these men at business seminars, and one of the statements that they like to make is, they like to say that the five people that you spend most of your time, if you take their income and you divide, divide it by half, that is what your income will be. And they speak about associating with the right people or having the right people around you. That's, that's the worldly system of how, of how to function in business. But then I look at the life of Jesus, and I look at the 12 people that he associated with. And I look at their income. And I, th I think that, I mean, if he was dependent on, on their income, I mean, it wouldn't work out for him. Because Jesus understood covenant. Because he understood covenant. He was not dependent on the wealth of his friends or the people who he hanged out with. He knew that the blessing was upon him. And whatever he touched would become a blessing and would work. And so in 2020, I want you to understand this, that the blessing of the Lord is upon your life. Amen. It's upon you. Amen. It's not about who you hang out with. It's not about who you spend time with. It's not trying to get into places. The blessing will follow you. Amen. Where you go, where you are, don't look at the circumstances and what's happening there because, because of covenant. If you understand covenant, things need to change because the blessing is resting upon you and upon your life. Amen? Amen? With me? Okay. 
I want to touch on something, and as I speak about, I don't want you to close your heart now. I want you to keep your heart wide open, wide open. <laughs> it seems to be a touchy subject because of the abuse and things that people have been through. I want to speak and touch on spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Many people quote scriptures that the word says that call no one your father, call no one your mother. And those are people that have been abused by spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. But to have a spiritual father or spiritual mother in your life, God has brought that and his intention for that is not that it would be something that would control you or break you down, but that it would be something that would propel you into a greater place or a greater destiny. That is the purpose of that. And as I speak about that right now, your mind must be kingdom. When I speak about a spiritual father or spiritual mother, it's not about that person or that individual. It's about the kingdom of God that needs to move on. I have a spiritual father in my life. And I look at, this year we celebrate 20 years of ministry. But I look at, I look at what has happened in 20 years and then I trace it back to a place, to a date, to a time where I've been in ministry for a long time. And then about 15 years, and then something happened one day, and everything changed from that place. From that place on, everything was different. Everything changed. Things became more easier. Suddenly, I understood the blessing of the Lord. For 15 years, I ran after the blessing. But then, at that moment, I was introduced into covenant. And I started to understand covenant. That I'm not trying to find something, I have found it, and it's upon my life. And as I understood covenant, everything started to change in my life. And I'm sharing this with you because the enemy wants you to be distracted from where you've been and what you've been doing. And now as I speak about this, I'm speaking about what has happened in 2019. Mistakes that you've made in 2019. Peaks that you hanged out with in 2019. I mean... That season has passed away. It's a new year. It's a new time. Your intention, your motive is to come back in 2020 and to repent. But the Father, just because of the motivation of your heart, the Father immediately grabs you, restores you, puts you back into your capacity, puts a ring on your finger, clothes you, gives you a sandal, qualifies you to go into this, into this year 2020 and to walk in the destiny and the calling that God has for your life. The enemy wants to remind you of what has happened and where you've come from. But it's time to get back on track as fast as possible. Don't, don't think about what happened in 2019. Don't try to fix things that happened in that season. It's a new season. It's a new day, and it's time to move on. So I look, I track back my life, and I look at that moment in 25 uh, years ago, where something happened in my life, and at that moment, when I, my ministry experience, or my season in ministry, when I look at it, I track it down to that date and time, and as I do that, I realize that at that date and time, I was introduced to my spiritual father, and everything changed from that moment. Everything changed from that moment, everything. I served many people in my life. I had many spiritual fathers and mothers, many people that I admired, many of them, list of people. But my challenge as a young man growing up in ministry is that whenever I came close 
to my spiritual father or mother in gifting that they would see me as a threat and then they would start to destroy me. And that was a challenge with me because I, I experienced that abandonment, that rejection over and over and over and over. But then that, time, that place came five years ago where I met a true spiritual father. Someone that had a heart for the kingdom and not just for their ministry or for their name. I remember going to a conference with my spiritual father and uh, we're sitting in this, this massive conference with all the leaders of our nation and I'm sitting with him in this conference and uh, he sits next to me and we get up to, uh, to go um, to leave the meeting and I grabbed his, his bag, I picked it up and uh, he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm just carrying your bag. He said, why are you doing that? I said, well, uh, I just want to serve you. And he said, no, 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 put down my bag. He says, I have people that can carry my stuff for me. He says, I want you to stand and walk with me because I want people to see that you are my equal. And for the first time in my life, I had a spiritual father that did not keep me in a position, but a spiritual father that looked at my life and that had a dream and a vision that I would go beyond what he has accomplished in his life. It's kingdom-minded. Kingdom kingdom-minded. So many times in my life, I thanked him for what he's done for me in my life. And every time his response is, I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for the kingdom. I want to see the kingdom advance. We have limited time left and we need workers. Jesus speaks about this. He says we need workers. At the time where Jesus speaks about this, you need to understand it was a time when 90% of the people were involved in the church and ministry. In that season, that time, Jesus says the workers are few. 90% of them are involved. He says, we don't have enough. We need more people. We need more people to stand up, to step into their position, to function. And so everything has changed from that moment and from that time. Okay? I want you to read with me in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. I want to explain something to you that you need to understand this. So when I met my spiritual father, I looked at him and I said, listen, this has got nothing to do with age, nothing to do with how long you're in ministry. It's got to do with what he carries upon his life. It's got to do with the character that's upon him. And so when I looked at him, met him the first time, I said to him, listen, it's, it's easy, it's simple. You've been through so much in your life. And uh, I'm going to sit with you and I want to learn. Teach me everything that you know that I don't have to make the same mistakes again in my life. Because you've been in ministry for 30 years. You've made the mistakes there's no reason for me to go through the same thing again. So I'm just going to sit with you, and I want you to teach me. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to respond to that. And, and by that, by doing that, I will accelerate both my life and the kingdom. Because suddenly there's a lot of stuff that I don't have to go through. A lot of flat tires that I don't have to change. Because I've listened, I've learned, and we can move from that place. Okay? 
And so when it comes to spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, it's not about the person. It's about the spiritual inheritance that's transferred from one generation to another generation. What's sad to me is when I look back at, at the moves, different moves of God from the 60s, 70s, 80s, different movements, is I see that every movement that we had up until now, every movement, ended with a generation. It never moved on to the next generation. Never. We cannot afford that to happen again right now. Remember I told you that the guard is changing. That there's a shift that's taking place. We have leaders that have been standing in the office, that have been standing, that have been the gatekeepers. And then spiritual inheritance that they carry needs to move on or be deposited upon the next generation. It'll be sad if this guard, if this generation has to start all over again, be sad. It has to move on. It has to, the kingdom needs to advance. It can't start over every year. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, I want to show you something in the life of David himself. We, we look at the life of David, and in the life of David, we see two different fathers. We see a natural father in the life of David called Jesse, and then we see a spiritual father in his life called Samuel. And they both approach him differently. They both look at him in a, in a different way. Jesse, his natural father, and we don't have to go through the whole story. You know the father, the, the David's father. You know about the celebration. He wasn't invited to the celebration. You know that whole thing. But Jesse, as a natural father, looks at David and there's three things that I want to touch on. As a natural father, he hides him, number one. As a natural father, he has no confidence in his potential. As a natural father, he's embarrassed because David was the fruit of an affair. A natural father is limited to the spiritual destiny that's upon your life because he looks at you in a natural way. But then Samuel comes into the life of David, and as a spiritual father, number one, Samuel respects his uniqueness. He's different from the other sons. He's different from the other boys. But Samuel looks at him, and he sees the anointing. He sees the calling upon his life. Samuel has prophetic insight into the destiny that he carries. A spiritual father is someone that don't just look at you in the natural. They see spiritually what is upon your life. They've got insight into that. As a spiritual father, Samuel sees the hidden gifts that will change a nation that's upon his life. As a spiritual father, Samuel is honored to have met the next king and he anointed him. Now, whenever God is ready to take you to the next season in your life, he connects you with his spiritual father. What is that? A spiritual father is a pastor. It's a teacher, it's a leader, it's a coach, it's an apostle. It's someone that looks beyond at what you have done in the natural. They don't judge you on natural things. They look beyond that. And your potential, your, the gifting that God has placed upon your life is known to them and that's what they see. And so whenever God is ready to promote you, He introduces you to a spiritual father. It's not about that person. You have to understand what I'm sharing with you today. It's not about the person. It's not what it's about. 
It's about someone that looks at you and they, don't, they do not see your limitation. They see what you can become. They see the gifting upon your life. doesn't mean that you're perfect. You might have challenges or obstacle things in your life, but they look beyond that. They still see what you can do and where you can go. It's amazing to me. Um, I've got an older brother, and um, we have a father, that a natural father that has been really been a blessing to us, to both me and my brother. And uh, it's amazing because I look at my brother in the natural, and my brother has made many mistakes in life. And I look at him, and many times I said to my dad, let's just get rid of him. Let's just throw him away. I mean, he's, he's made so many mistakes. Let's just dump him somewhere. Many times. But then I look at the way that my dad responds to him. I mean, my brother has broken 13 of the 10 commandments. Yet, yet my dad still looks at him, and he still has compassion. He still has, he's still gracious towards him. And the reason is because... Because he doesn't just look at him in the natural, but he has spiritual insight in his life. Because if he only looked at the natural, he would have gotten written, rid of him a long time ago. But he looks at spiritually what he carries. And because of that, he keeps on being merciful to him. He keeps on being gracious to him. He keeps on encouraging him because of the calling that rests upon his life. Okay? Now, we look at the life of Jesus and I want you to understand three things about a son and a daughter. There's a gifting upon my life today. God has called me to the prophetic. But before I am a prophet, I am a son. The greatest calling upon my life is to be a son. After that, the gifting starts to flow. I first have to understand who I am, what my true identity is. Okay? And we look at the life of Jesus and the way he responded to things, the way he responded to attacks, the way he responded to gossip, to things that have been, he's been accused of when he was on earth. And uh, there's three things that I pick up in the life of Jesus, and I want to share it about you. Jesus as a son of God, Jesus as the son of God, as a son, there's certain things that he knew, certain things that he understood. The first thing that I find that Jesus understood is his identity. He knew he was the son of God. He understood his identity. And so as a son and daughter of God, the first thing that you need to understand is your identity. And that's why I'm sharing with you about covenant and identity today is that when you go through things this year, when you go through things in your life and you don't understand your identity, you'll be confused the whole time. Because you'll look at natural things and you will constantly measure yourself with natural circumstances, with natural wealth, with natural position. But when you understand your identity, you become spiritually rich. You, you become spiritually wealthy. Suddenly you are full. There's nothing in the natural world that can satisfy you because you know you are your identity. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. There's nothing that could buy him. I look at how the enemy tried to tempt him several times on his identity. In the desert, the enemy says to him, if you are the son of God. He's challenging his identity to see if he knows who he is. If you are the son. I look at his response. Jesus does not entertain his response. You see, someone 
who knows who they are don't have to prove anything. People that try to prove something don't know who they are. They're trying to prove that they are something. Jesus said, no, I don't have to, I don't have to jump. I know who I am. I'm the son of God. In the moment of his death, where he gets arrested, one of the disciples jumps in and says, I will fight for you till death. I've got this Jesus. He jumps in and tries to, tries to stab a guy with a sword, misses, only cuts off his ear. I mean, failed attempt there. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus calms him down. He says, don't worry. Don't you know that I have a legion of angels available to me right now? I don't need you to fight for me. I know who I am. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not moved. I'm not anxious. I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm going to surrender myself in this situation. They can only arrest me if I want them to arrest me. I know who I am. So he knew his identity. I want you to write this down. As a son or daughter of God, you need to know your identity. The second thing is that a son and daughter knows is, is Jesus knew his purpose. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He knew his purpose. He knew his identity and he knew his purpose. He knew his mission. He was not distracted by things that happened while he was on earth because he had a mission. He knew his purpose and his purpose was to come and destroy the works of the enemy. That was his purpose. He came to be the perfect sacrifice. At a time, they are in a town and uh, they, Jesus starts to do miracles. And I mean, quickly the word spreads and people come from all over. Suddenly, one morning, the disciples woke, they, they woke up and uh, they looked for Jesus. I mean, the disciples thought in this moment they can do a major miracle crusade. And so they start advertising this event and uh, we're going to plant a church. We're going to do a great thing in this city. This is going to be the move of time. They get everything ready and suddenly they wake up, wake up the morning. Jesus is gone. <laughs> they want to start a ministry. They want to start a church. They want to start a healing crusade now. He's gone. They find him outside the town. He says, no, it's time to move on. He knew his purpose. He wasn't distracted by the things that came along the way. He knew that this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. And so as a son and daughter, you know your identity and you know your purpose. The third thing that you know as a son and daughter is you know your origin. Jesus as a son knew he came from the Father and he would return to the Father. As a son and daughter, you have to know your origin. Dubai is not your home. No, this is not your origin. This is not where you come from. This is not where you are. I'm speaking to world-class citizens today. World-class citizens. People are so worried today, God, what nation do I need to go to? Do I need to go to that nation or this nation? Do you want, to stay, do you want me to stay here? Do you want me just to stay there? I just don't, miss, don't want to miss the call of God. Listen. If you understand covenant, whatever nation you go to, God will use you. The blessing is upon you. Lord, should I start a church here or there? God says, just do something, please. 
<laughs> Just do something. Because the blessing is upon you. Blessing is upon you. I have to remind myself constantly about my origin, where I come from. I'm not South African. I'm a world-class citizen. I'm not limited to a nation and to a place. Not limited. The kingdom of God is not in one nation. The kingdom of God is all over the world. That's why it's called Life Church Global. Not just one place. Not limited. There's no boundaries. There's no limitation. We've put up borders. God put it up. We put it up. We brought the vision. God's building His kingdom all over the world. He's building His kingdom. And we partakers in that. That's our origin. Doesn't matter where I stay. Doesn't matter. You know, our lives are very strange. We've got multiple homes all over the world. One of the toughest, toughest, toughest things to explain to people right now is if they ask me, where do you stay? It's a very complicated question. <laughs> because I'm not limited to a place. Not limited to an area. We go where God wants us to be. That's it. God's kingdom is all over the world. And we're busy building His kingdom. That's where we are. That's it. Okay? And so Jesus knew these three things. I want you to write it down. As a son and daughter, as a son and daughter, you need to know your identity, your purpose, and your origin. You need to know this, those things. If you don't know your identity, then you're going to look for it everywhere. You have to know those things in 2020. Okay? Now, I want to touch on the difference between a son and a servant. A son and a daughter and a servant. The difference between it. One thing that you have to understand today is that servants don't inherit. Only sons and daughters do. Servants inherit nothing. Sons and daughters inherit. They have an inheritance. When I look at churches today and uh, this afternoon, when I look at Life Church, if I look at the strength, the size of Life Church, the size of a church is not measured by how many members that church has, but by the sons and daughters. That is the size of the church. You can have 10,000 people in your church and you can still have no sons and daughters. What does it mean? It means when the leader steps down, that ministry dies. When you have sons and daughters in the house, the ministry can continue. It even grows in the absence of the leaders. That's when you have true sons and daughters in the house. And so the, the size, the strength of the ministry is not defined by how big they are in numbers, but about the capacity of the sons and daughters. That is the size of a ministry. That's what you want. The difference between a son and a servant, I want to give you three things. The first thing is a servant serves to get identity. A son serves from a position of identity. A servant tries to do things. They try to prove themselves. They try to serve to show that they are faithful. Pastor, pastor, I've, I've cleaned that. Pastor, I've done that. Pastor, do you know I've, I've done this? Have you seen me do that? They serve because they want to be seen. 
A son and daughter knows their identity. They don't serve to get identity. They serve from a place where they know who they are. The difference between a son and a servant is a, a servant fights to get promoted. The son serves to build the kingdom. Servant mentality is I want to get promoted. I want to be, I'm doing it because I want to be in that position. That's why I'm doing it. But a son and daughter are in it for the kingdom. They don't care what their position or capacity or place is. They see the kingdom. They realize the importance of the kingdom that needs to move on. And so suddenly they don't care where they have to be. They're ready to do it and to step into it because they see the bigger picture. The difference between a son and a servant. A servant serves with wrong motivation. A son serves to bless God's people. A true son and a true daughter is a true son have the same spirit and are like-minded when I look at their spiritual father and mother. A true son embraces and expresses the culture of the father. It means that when the absence of the father and mother, they're not doing something different. Because they're reflecting the culture of the father. They know the culture. They pick up the culture. They start to carry that same culture. I have many people today, when I preach all over the world, they, they listen to me and they, they hear my spiritual father. They say, you sound like him. There's something that's reflecting through my life. The culture of the Father is coming through. I don't have to try to do it. It just comes through because, because I know my identity. Because I know my purpose. I know my origin. And so suddenly my sights are on the kingdom of God. And I can advance the kingdom because I don't try to, I don't, I don't try to be something. It comes naturally. And so they hear the same sound. When I prophesy to people, they pick, up, they pick, up, they pick him up. Because through the prophecy they can hear him. Because I carry that same DNA, that same culture is upon my life. Okay? A true son knows their position in the house. See, if you have a table and um, you have a family, and in that family you have a few sons and daughters that are adopted in that family. The servants, the adopted sons and daughters are always fighting for position. When they're sitting at the table, they're trying to, to fight and say, no, 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 this, this is my spot. No, that is my spot. No, I want to sit next to the Father. No, I want to be there. It's because they have an orphan spirit that's upon them. They don't understand their identity. But a true, a, a true son and daughter knows their position. They don't have to fight for it. You know, as a natural son in my father's house today, I walk into my father's house today and I open up the fridge and I know that everything that's in that fridge belongs to me because I'm a son. <laughs> I don't have to fight for a position. I don't have to ask. I don't have to prove myself. I know my position. I know, I know what I've got access to. Okay? So a true son knows their position. They're safe in that place. They don't have to fight for a position or a place. Okay? Are you okay? Yes. A true son and daughter shares 
the Father's heart. They know the heart of the Father. They know what they carry. I've been in ministry with my, my parents for, for um, 15, of the 20 years, 15 years of that, I've been in ministry with them. And I've looked at a visionary. My dad is a visionary. My, my Lord gave him the vision of starting the ministry. He gave him the, um, the template, the blueprint of how it should function. And I've covered all the bases in that ministry. I've been in every department. I've been everywhere, from the sound to the camera, from the finances and every part of that ministry. I've been in it. I've trained in it. But I've looked at how a visionary functions. We prepare that meeting. And for that meeting, everything is perfect. Everything. I've went through every department. Everything is right. Everything is perfect. But then a visionary walks into the building and he picks up the one thing that's out of place. And it's because he carries the blueprint. Because God, God downloaded something upon his life that only he can see. You can try to see it. You can try to study it. You can try to, uh, to write it down, but you don't have the blueprint. And so even if you do your best, he, car- he carries the blueprint of what God wants to do at that particular season or place. And so I look at my dad coming into that place. I mean, everything is perfect. We've gone uh, 10 times over everything. He comes in and he just points out everything that's wrong. He says, that's wrong. and That's not right. And that's not right. And that's not right. He sees everything. And in that, I've realized how a visionary functions. This insight that God has given them into something. God has showed them that this is what I want you to do and this is how it should look like. And when I look at them as a couple today, God has given them the blueprint. He's given them the blueprint of Life Church Global. They didn't create the blueprint. They didn't plan it. God imparted something to them, and He said, "I want you to do something, and I want I want it to look like this." That's it. And so suddenly, they can, they can function in a capacity and they can do something and they know, they know exactly what direction to move in. They know exactly how to respond to every storm, to every challenge, because they carry the blueprint. They can look at the problem and they can look at the blueprint. They know exactly. This is, this is not it. This is not it. We're missing it here. We need to move. We need to, we need to shift one meter into that direction. This is where they carry the blueprint. Okay? A spiritual father in your life is not someone whose opinion you listen to, but it's rather someone whose counsel you follow. They carry the blueprint. And so it's not about following their opinion but it's to listen to the counsel that they're giving because they're speaking not from, from a place of lack. They're speaking from the blueprint. They see the picture in the spirit and they speak from that place. And so they say, no, no, this, we need to change distance because of the blueprint. That's why we need to do it. Now, 
when you have a spiritual father or mother in your life, you do not question their integrity, their dignity, their motives, or their ability to make decisions. When you have a spiritual father and mother in your life, you know, you know that they hear from God. And you don't question that. Now, immediately religious folks stand up and they say, but, but who's going to keep them accountable? What if they miss it? Because, because God has sent me into this ministry to keep them on track. I need to help them. I need to... What, what about that? Listen, you have to understand that one day, they will be accountable to God. And so if you feel it's your place to, to handle them, if you feel it's your place to rebuke them, or I feel it's your place to leave it, let God do it. Let God do it. Don't, don't worry. If you want them to be judged, they will be judged. Don't worry. But let God do it. Because they will have to stand before God, and then God says to them, this is the blueprint that I gave you. What did you do with it? And now you wonder why they want to follow the blueprint to the letter. Why they want to make these small adjustments and you look at it and you're thinking, well, it's not necessary. We don't need to do it. It's because of the faithfulness towards what God told them to do. The blueprint that God showed them and said that this is what I need you to be. They will stand before God. God will say, this is it. This is what I ask you to do, Life Church Global. What did you do with that? I told you to be in this nation, this nation, this nation. I told you to do this, this, and the whole thing. What did you do with that? I gave you the capacity. I gave you the resources. I gave you the people. gave you the wealth. What did you do with that? So don't worry for that. They will stand in for that. Okay? <laughs> now, I want to end and I want to say to you that a spiritual inheritance cannot be passed to servants but only to sons and daughters. Very, uh, look at life today, with people that are in ministry, uh, very few times we see that a, a pastor's natural sons or natural daughters step in and take over that ministry. We don't see it a lot. Except if that father, natural father, starts to become a spiritual father and mother in their lives. But, Servants cannot inherit. And so what Life Church are doing right now, what has happened in the last five years is an inheritance that has been building up. It's inheritance that comes from a place of wisdom. They've, they've went for counsel. They've seen people. They've spent time with people all, all over the world. They've looked at the blueprint. They've studied it. They've had sleepless nights over it. They've had dreams. They, they've been through the whole thing. And so out of that, they've been building an inheritance. Inheritance. And it's a spiritual inheritance that has to move on from one generation to another generation. It has eternal value and capacity, that, gen, that, that inheritance. Okay? It's very important for us to honor our leaders. Um, I've seen a, a man of God in South Africa, and, and uh, if I say his name, you, you, know, you would know him, but I saw a man, really a man of God, a man that carried the power of God upon his life, power of God upon his life. 
And I looked at him one Sunday, and I saw one of the members in his church standing up and walking to the front to him so that he could pray for them. And before that person could even reach him, I saw the power of God hit that person, and they were on the ground, and they had a supernatural encounter. That's what I saw. Six months later, six months later, I saw the same person in the crowd standing up, going to the front to the same man of God to be prayed for. And six months later, when I saw him go up to him, I saw him stand in front of him and receive nothing. And I look at that and I thought, what happened? What changed? What changed? There was a time where he had so much honor for him that he couldn't even be in a proximity of five meters from him and the power of God came upon his life. Then six months later, he stood in the same room right next to the same man and he didn't receive anything. Let me tell you, the problem is not on the one that's giving but the one that's receiving. Something has changed in his heart. Something has changed. People ask about the supernatural today and how we can enhance, how, do we, how can we cultivate, how can we function in the supernatural. There's a key to the supernatural. There's a key. There's a key to the supernatural. And if you use that key every time, not one out of ten times, it will unlock the supernatural every time. Every time. It's a key that will open the supernatural every time. And that key is honor. It's honor. Don't look at the person. Don't look at the person. Look at what they carry. It's not about the person. It's not about the person. The focus is not honoring the individual, the natural. It's what's upon their life. It's what they carry. It's Christ in them. That is what we're honoring. We're honoring the fact that they responded and they said, yes, God, I'll go. That's what we're honoring. The fact that they were willing to lay down their lives, not, not just on Sundays, but daily, and said, God, I surrender to your plan and purpose. That's what we honor. That's what we see upon their life. So how do we honor our spiritual parents? How do we honor them? We honor them through our mouth. We honor them through obedience. We honor them through finances. We honor them by what we say in the absence. That's how we honor them. It's easy to honor them when they're in the same room. But when you are in a room and people attack them and you are in that same room, how do you respond to that? I have a church that a dear friend of mine in South Africa, a church that I, that I'm in, that I ministered in, and, and uh, after the meeting, I had lunch with the pastor. We had an incredible meeting, incredible time. But after the meeting, uh, we were in a restaurant, and uh, he knows my spiritual father. He knows who he is. And at the meeting, in front, in public, in front of several pastors, he dishonored my spiritual father. In a meet, in, at lunch, in front of everyone. And so I responded, and I said to him, 
I love you and I appreciate you, but this is the last time that I'll be here. How do I respond in the absence of my spiritual father where he doesn't have a voice? He doesn't have to prove anything. But in the absence, what do I do there? Do I allow that? Do I take part in that? How do I respond? And so in that moment, I had to stand up and say, I love you, I appreciate you, but I cannot be part of this conversation. I cannot be part of it. The enemy will often do that. What is dishonor? If you go study the word dishonor, you study that word. The word dishonor means to, to strip someone of their value. That's what it means. To strip them of what they are, the value that they have. And that's what happened to Jesus. When he came into that town, he was performing miracles. They were all excited that he was there. They started to ask questions, who is this? And then someone responded, isn't this Jesus who grew up with us? And suddenly, Jesus could not perform any miracle in that town because they dishonored him. What did they do? They stripped him of his value. They said, no, 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 there's nothing in you. There's nothing upon you. I look at Pastor John and Kelsey today, and they are friends of mine. I would, I would consider them to be friends. But above that, he's a man of God to me. Above that. Above that. He's a man of God. She's a woman of God. They have a calling upon their life. They are vital to the city. They are vital to the position that God has placed them in to advance the kingdom. And so above our relationship, above our friendship, I see the calling. And there is certain proximities that in our friendship, I will never cross that. I will never cross that barrier because of the respect that I have for them, because of who they are. There's some people, I'm not speaking about anyone yet, relax. There's some people, the closer you bring them to you, the more they lose respect for you. No one yet, don't worry. I'm saying, I'm speaking about that. I'm speaking to you as well. There's people that do not value what is upon your life. They have no value for that. They don't recognize that. If they don't value that, if they don't have an expectation, there is nothing that you can do for them. It's nothing. It's nothing you can do. It's not about rejecting them, abandoning them, but there's certain relationships that is just completely unfruitful. Completely. It's, it's, it's not producing anything. There's, there's no fruit. Nothing. And it's important for you to spend time to surround yourself with people that have a hunger for God. Hunger for God. That have that expectation. You know, when you go through a difficult time or season in your life, you don't want people around you that, I mean, that complain and that are negative and that are, you don't want that. You want people in your life that can say, yes, there's hope. That's what you want around you. 
I want you to understand the importance of what I'm sharing today. We're talking about kingdom principles. A spiritual father and mother is not someone that is there to control your life. It's someone that is there that carries the key to unlock the giftings and potential that's in your life. That's what it is. And so when they look at you, they don't see servants. When they look at you, they see someone. They see a co-laborer that can work with them to advance the kingdom. So they see. They see they can be more effective. The kingdom can advance when you stand together, when you move on. I want you to know today that you are not a servant. You're not a servant. You don't have to fight for position. You don't have to prove anything. You're a son and daughter. That's who you are. Sons and daughters inherit. Not servants. Okay? 